What a good morning it is, Resurrection Sunday. What a great day to celebrate the risen Jesus, to celebrate that the tomb is empty, that the throne is occupied, that Jesus wins. Amen, anyone? Amen. Thank you. Uh, especially, I just want to add my welcome to Arnaldo's for those of you who are visiting with us this morning. If you're friends or family of those who usually come here, it's great that you could be with us this morning. This, for us at least, for Christians at least, is the most important day on our calendar. So we're we're pretty pumped on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday. I remember a couple of years ago, uh, I think I was on social media somewhere just scrolling through the feed and I saw a link to an article that said, dead man wakes at own funeral. I thought that sounds like an interesting story. I'm always looking for good stories to tell. So I clicked on the link and I read the story about a 28-year-old um, Southern Egyptian waiter who had died of a heart attack at work. And the people had tried to recover him. He, he didn't recover. They took him to hospital. They declared him dead. And his parents came and they took him home to begin to prepare his body for a traditional Islamic burial. Now, for whatever reason, that happened fairly quickly. And the doctor didn't have time to sign the death certificate. So she went to the house to check the body, to sign the death certificate. And she found to her alarm that the body was still warm. And she said to the family, your son is alive. The mother fainted. She managed to revive both of them. That funeral turned into a wonderful celebration. Now, I finished reading the story and I'm like, come off it. As if. I checked the date. I'm like, is it 1st of April? Is it, is it April Fool's? I, and then I, I thought, okay, maybe I'm on a satirical news site. So I checked, you know, am I on one? Nope, it was the age. It's like, oh, hang on a sec. Maybe this actually happened. I don't know where you find yourself at in your journey of faith. But my guess is that for, for many of you, you can find it hard to believe the resurrection. Maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you, you, you're someone who follows Jesus and there is a corner of doubt in your heart. You think, do I really believe this? Did this actually happen? Because this is the foundation of our faith. Or maybe you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus and you're not a Christian, but you're slightly skeptical about these things. You think, well, is it reasonable? That someone would believe in a resurrection? That, that people would believe that a person rose again from the dead after being dead for three? Is that reasonable? Is it logical to believe that? Well, if that's you, then you're not alone. Because the very first followers of Jesus were skeptics of the resurrection. That passage that Arnaldo just read for us, you see the women, they go, they see, they come back to the disciples and they report what they had seen to them. And this is what it says, the reaction of the disciples is in verse 11 of Luke 24. But these words, the report of an empty tomb, seemed to them an idle tale. Literally, it seemed like nonsense and they did not believe them. Jesus' disciples did not believe that he had risen from the dead. But they didn't stay there, did they? They moved from that position of unbelief or doubt towards belief, towards proclaiming Jesus, towards living for Jesus, and ultimately to die for Jesus, to die preaching that he rose again from the dead. And so why? Why did they, why did they do that? Is it reasonable to believe that the resurrection took place? Now, my aim this morning is not to convince you outright 100% that that could happen. I, that's probably not the appropriate context for it and probably don't have enough time. I'd ha we'd probably have to dialogue back and forth for a number of hours maybe. But what I want you to see this morning is that it is reasonable for Christians to believe in the resurrection. It is reasonable. The, the faith that you have is reasonable. 
And for those of you who might consider yourself a skeptic towards this, I hope that this information would help you see that we don't believe in the resurrection and kiss our brains goodbye. And so what I want to do is give you a number of evidences for that. But before I do that, I want to read you a quote of a guy called Sir Lionel Lucku. He is in the Guinness World Book of Records as the world record holder for the world's most successful attorney. 245 consecutive murder trial acquittals that he won in a row. And so they've declared him the world's most successful attorney. He was brilliant at looking at evidence and making a case and winning. And when this man, a skeptic himself, looked at the evidence of the resurrection, he was confronted with a truth that initially he found uncomfortable, but began to captivate him. This is what he says about the resurrection. I think it's on the screens. I say unequivocally that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof, which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. Now, he seems fairly convinced, would you say, that he believes that the resurrection took place. Are there good reasons to believe this? Well, I think there are. I think there's a couple of reasons that we see, three in particular from this passage. And then I'm going to chuck a couple of extras on the end for good measure. But I want to preface it by saying this. All of these reasons that we have come with the assumption, the presupposition, that the New Testament Gospels that are written about the life, death and resurrection of Jesus are reliable, are historical fact. Now, that might be a discussion for another day, but I'm assuming all of that, all right, in these couple of reasons. So not reason number one, the first reason why we believe the resurrection is reasonable is because the disciples were not expecting this to happen. In verse one, it says there that the women went to anoint a dead body. That's what they're expecting. Have a look at verse one again. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, that they, that is the women, went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. They were not expecting a, a, a risen body. They weren't expecting an empty tomb. They had spices in their hand. They were ready to go and anoint a dead body. This is perplexing to them, right? They've got no category for a resurrection, none whatsoever. In fact, there was no worldview in the first century that had any category for a resurrection like this, a physical bodily resurrection like Jesus. If you were someone of uh, Greek background, Greek culture, the Greeks had a worldview that said there is a, a dualism between what we consider material and immaterial, between the physical and the spiritual. And so Greek culture believed that when you died, there was a separation of those two things. The material, which was considered less important than the spiritual, would decay and you would enjoy this wonderful spiritual existence. In fact, people of a Greek background, Greek culture, they would have seen this Physical bodily resurrection is entirely undesirable. They wouldn't, they wouldn't want that. Now, if you were a first century Jew, on the other hand, you did believe in a physical resurrection. The only difference is you believed it would happen at the end of time and that every single person in history would be raised. They had no category for someone coming back to life in the middle of history. The disciples are caught off guard here. They're not ready for this. They're not expecting a resurrection. The women come. They're, they're, 
ready to complete the burial process, the traditional process of anointing with oil and spices, the men are at home grieving. It's only been three days since nearly all of these people stood at the foot of the cross and watched their saviour, their friend, their leader, crucified. And then they watched him buried in the tomb. These people are grieving. They're in funeral mode. The first followers of Jesus, it's not like they're stashed away in some room trying to figure out this elaborate resurrection hoax so they can convince. No, they were as surprised by the resurrection as anyone was. They're not ready for this. That's the first reason I think it, we've got some evidence to say that the resurrection is reasonable to believe. The second is this, that women were the very first eyewitnesses to the resurrection. You notice there that Luke names three women in particular in verse 10. He says this, Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James, as well as the other women who had told these things to the apostles. Luke names the women. In a publicly circulated document, he says, these are the names of the people who are the very first eyewitnesses to the resurrection. And what he's suggesting there is, if you want to ask of them, go right ahead because they're still alive. You can check for yourself from these people. But you know, the fascinating thing about this account is that the first century was a vastly sexist culture. So much so, in fact, that if you're a woman, your witness statement was unpermissible in a court of law. It was considered unreliable. Now, I'm not saying I agree. I'm just telling you how it was, all right? If you're a woman and you saw something, you weren't allowed to stand in front of a judge and bear witness to what you saw. If you're going to make up a story about a resurrection, you wouldn't pick women to be your very first witnesses of this story. In a culture where it's not popular, it doesn't fit with the worldview, if you're going to make something up, you would never do this. In fact, for the first Christians, it would have been embarrassing to admit this. As they told people, Jesus is risen. Well, who saw it? Well, actually, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna. And, and it was embarrassing. It undermines the credibility of their story. So why is it in there? Well, it's in there because that's how it happened. That's how it played out. And as embarrassing as it was for the story of the resurrection and, and as, as much as it undermined their story, so many people knew that these women saw the tomb empty that it was included in the story. That's just how it played out. The third piece of evidence that suggests to us that the resurrection is reasonable to believe is that Jesus actually predicted it. He predicted it. For, uh, in verse 4, this is what it says. While they, that's the women in the tomb, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood behind them, beside them in dazzling apparel, two angels. And as they were frightened and bowed their face to the ground, the men said to them, Why, you seek, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. Jesus predicted at least twice in Luke's gospel that he would die on the cross and three days later that he would rise again. Let me take you to a couple of examples. Luke chapter 9, verse 22. 
maybe years or months before the death of Jesus, he says this, speaking of himself in the third person figure of the Son of Man, he says, The Son of Man must suffer many things, must be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, be killed, and on the third day be raised. Or again in Luke 18, verse 32, it says this, For he, speaking of the Messiah, will be delivered over to the Gentiles, Pontius Pilate, and he will be mocked, and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Now, you know, sometimes you can just have a lucky guess and get things right. Like I could stand before you today and say, in 2015, the NRL premiership is going to go to the Parramatta Eels and then win the grand final. It would be a lucky guess. It's certainly not an educated guess at all. It would be an outright lucky guess if that happened. Sometimes people can manipulate events to make it look like they're able to predict the future. But I want to suggest to you that you, you can't guess or manipulate a resurrection. You can't manipulate or guess something that's impossible. It would be like me saying Western Sydney Wanderers are going to win the 2015 NRL Grand Final. Never. It's impossible. It doesn't happen like that. The probability of guessing the resurrection is a big fat zero. It just cannot happen. Jesus didn't guess this. He predicted this, that this event would take place. And you notice he predicted with very specific detail. What did he say? He says, the Son of Man will be mocked. They will spit on him. They will flog him and they will kill him. And you might think, well, big deal. That happened to most of the criminals that the Romans executed. Yeah, but what about the resurrection? Three days later, he will rise again from the dead. You can't predict that one. But you know, Jesus isn't alone in predicting the resurrection would take place. The prophets throughout the Old Testament have done the same thing. In fact, King David, prophet and King David, in Psalm 22, prophesies with great accuracy about that very day that Jesus would die. This is what he says in Psalm 22, verse 15. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Speaking of that time where they laid Jesus down on his back to nail him to the cross. For dogs have encompassed me, a company of evildoers encircles me. Speaking of the Roman soldiers that encircled Jesus. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I count all of my bones. They stare and gloat over me. Crowds had come to watch this spectacle of crucifying the one who claimed to be the king of the Jews. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Now this is written some seven, eight hundred years before Jesus ever set foot on the face of the planet. And David there says with wonderful pinpoint accuracy that these things will take place on the day that the Messiah is crucified. A few verses later in Luke 24, Jesus is walking on his way to the city of Emmaus with some of the disciples and his identity is concealed to them. And he begins to discuss with them and they say, look, we've, we've heard that there is this report from the women that, that Jesus has risen from the dead, but we don't believe it. And Jesus says, really? Have you read the scriptures? Have you read? Is your faith in the scriptures and what they say? And then he says to them, look, I'll show you. And beginning with Moses, he opens the scriptures and shows them how all of the Old Testament pointed to him. Would have been a nice little chat to be a part of that walk to Emmaus. The scriptures predicted the resurrection of Jesus multiple, multiple times. 
that he was going to rise again on the third day. You know, Christianity is not blind faith. It's not kiss your brains goodbye, stop thinking and just believe something that you know is probably not true. No, no, Jesus always expects people to have faith based on the evidence that you find in Scripture, that these things were predicted to take place. Now, that might not be enough for you, so I'm going to throw a couple of extras that aren't in that passage for good measure. The the, the fourth reason that I believe the resurrection is reasonable for us to believe is that the disciples undertook a radical transformation. Remember, just after the death of Jesus, the disciples are cowering in fear that they might face the same fate that their leader did, that the, the, the Jews might send them to get crucified by the Romans, that they would die. And so they're cowering in fear until what event? The resurrection. They lay eyes on the risen Jesus and everything changes for the disciples. All of a sudden, these men that were once cowards full of fear are boldly preaching what? The resurrection. The resurrection was the centerpiece of their message. It's not like it was like a little footnote in their message. They went around Jerusalem and Peter in Acts chapter 2 stands up and boldly preaches about the resurrection in public. What accounts for such a massive flip in these disciples? It's a crazy notion to think that they would preach that Jesus had been risen from the dead in a culture where everyone who objected to that would be searching for evidence to back up their case. It was costly for them to preach that. In fact, history tells us that almost every single one of Jesus' disciples died for preaching that Jesus rose again from the dead. Now, maybe it's just me, but I can't help but think that most people aren't going to die for something that they knowingly know is a lie. Maybe one or two of them might be stubborn enough to go to death without recanting, but all of them, all of the 12 and the rest that followed, How do we account for that? How do we account for such a radical transformation in Jesus' early followers? What about this one? Fifth reason that the resurrection is reasonable to believe is that we have some very, very early and old records of information and literature about the resurrection. Uh, Mark's gospel is one of those examples. It's the the earliest account of the life of Jesus. Uh, Scholars believe that it was penned anywhere between AD 18 and 37. So the oldest possible date that Mark could be is AD 37, Okay, but could be much earlier. And Mark has in his account of the life of Jesus this idea of a resurrection. Now that was written in the time when all of the eyewitnesses to what took place were still alive. It could be verified. It's not like this took place hundreds of years after that generation had died out. The second piece of um, ancient literature that we have is uh, an early Christian creed. A creed is just like a little saying or statement that Christians used to say. Paul includes it in his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15. At the start of that chapter, he says, uh, For Christ died according to the Scriptures, that he was buried according to the Scriptures, and on the third day he rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. That is what they believe is the very first Christian creed, the little saying that they had. It was circulated, they believe, around AD 30 to 36. Again, in the very time of the people of the generation of Jesus who saw what happened, who were there. And so this story of the resurrection hasn't had you know, hundreds of years to develop legend status. It's not like this is one massive game of Chinese whispers that blew way out of proportion, right? This started at the very generation of the people who were there. They could, they could produce a body if it was still there. They could speak against this. And yet, 
The truth of the resurrection captures so many people in the first century. The church didn't fabricate these events. They were all written, publicly circulated for verification. What about this one? This is my favorite one. And there's way more than six. I'm going to stop at six. And there's, there's more, but I kind of like this one. One of the most compelling evidences that I find is that Jesus' family worshipped him. Jesus' half-brother Jesus, uh, James worships Jesus. His mum worships Jesus. Now, look, you might be able to convince a stranger that you're God, maybe, if you're good. Maybe if you're really good, you convince 12 disciples who spent every day with you for three years, but your family? No way. I'm pretty close with my little brother, uh, but I'm not about to bow down my knee, worship him, proclaim that he is God, and go to the grave saying that he rose again from the dead, if that's not true. right? But James, his mum, the people that were closest to him worshipped him. What did they see in Jesus that so radically convinced their thinking that they would worship their brother if he had not come back from the dead? You know, it's often said that the church created the resurrection, fabricated, made it up. Not true. In fact, the resurrection created the church. The resurrection created the, this radical news that Jesus rose again from the dead so captivated people in the first century that they adopted all of these new ways of thinking, this new way of worship, all of this so radically changed people. The resurrection created the church. But you might be thinking, well, hang on a sec. Aren't there a couple of valid alternatives to this idea of a resurrection? And maybe there are. So I want to suggest a few to you, just to be fair, just to be even-handed in this. Maybe, maybe it's the case that someone stole the body. Maybe the Roman soldiers took the body and they've stashed it away. Now, at some point when Jesus' disciples start talking about a resurrection, it would be very easy for them to say, yeah, here it is. Here's the body. Here's the nail marks. This is Jesus. That didn't happen. Or maybe the disciples stole the body. And again, you would have to say, well, why would they willingly die for something that they knew was a lie? If they stole the body, surely someone along the way would fess up that the resurrection wasn't true. Or maybe it was that um, Jesus had a twin brother that no one knew about. And uh, it was actually his twin brother that died on the cross, not Jesus himself. And um, when his twin brother popped up, then all of a sudden he convinced everyone that he rose again from the dead. It was really believable. The problem with that is, Mary worships Jesus. Right? If he's got a twin brother, surely she's the one who's going to know. She was the one that gave birth to one son called Jesus. And then James and, and others followed. But there were no twins. But what about this one? Maybe it was that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. That he simply fainted and people thought he was dead. And they took him and they buried him in the tomb. And in the cool of the tomb, he revived and, and he woke up and he convinced people that he really did rise again from the dead. The problem with that is that the Romans are probably historically some of the best and most brutal killers around. They knew how to execute someone. In fact, one of the Roman soldiers took his spear, shoved it in Jesus' side, piercing his heart sack, and a flow of water and blood came out, indicating that medically Jesus was dead. They took him down, they buried him in the tomb. Now let's just say that that hadn't taken place, conveniently. And here is a man who had been flogged of half his body, they literally flogged the flesh off Jesus' back, carried his tomb out there, hung on a cross, dies of asphyxiation almost, faints, and then he gets up and somehow convinces people that he rose again from the dead when it was just, it doesn't seem logical that a man who was so close to death could then get up and 
walk through walls and eat with people and, and be healthy and fit. Uh, if that happened to anyone, it would be months and months and months of recovery. Jesus died on the cross. Or maybe, maybe it's that the disciples were so um, overcome by grief and so desperately wanted to believe that the things that Jesus spoke of were true, that they began to have visions and hallucinations that they had seen the risen Jesus. And, and it was sincere. They truly believed that they had seen it. It's just that it wasn't literal. The problem with that suggestion is that, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus appeared to groups of people at the same time. In fact, on one occasion, he appeared to a group of more than 500. They're all still alive. Go check out for yourself if they saw him or not. Hallucinations, grief um, produced visions and hallucinations don't happen in groups of 500 people. Just the, the psychologists will tell you that that will never happen. Maybe to an individual, but not to groups of 500. Now, I don't know about you, but I just don't find any of the other evidences of a non-resurrection compelling. I find the resurrection compelling, the evidence for it. But it's not only compelling, it's also soul-satisfying. Does the resurrection of Jesus offer me any shred of hope against the angst that my soul feels at this world? What will happen to me when I die? Is there life after death? Why, does, why do I have this massively strong yearning for significance and purpose and meaning in life? Does the resurrection have any hope to that context? And I believe it does. It's not only the most significant event that happened in history, it's also profoundly relevant for our lives today. The Apostle Paul, as Arnaldo reminded us earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, said if the, if the resurrection hasn't happened, then Christians are to be pitied above everyone else. But if it did happen, everything changes. If the resurrection happened, everything changes. And I want to suggest to you a couple of implications. It takes Jesus from being just a man, a good man, a great teacher, an influential man who's a dead man, to being someone who is entirely worthy of all our worship, praise, honor, and affection and devotion. That's the difference the resurrection makes. The resurrection um, means that the cross of Christ is valid, that what happened at the cross was effective. If Jesus is still a dead Jew, if his bones are still in a tomb, buried somewhere on a hill in Jerusalem, then we're all stuck in our sin. But... If he's risen again from the dead, that is the resurrection is a demonstration that the crucifixion was effective, that sin has been dealt with once and for all. Remember what Jesus said, well, sorry, what the angels said to the women in the tomb, chapter 24, verse 6. They said, why are you looking? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember what he told you. Remember what he told you. The words of Jesus are reliable. And if he says, I'm going to die, and then three days later I will rise again, surely he says, for those of you who have faith in me, your sins will be forgiven. Jesus is trustworthy. He is faithful. And so the resurrection demonstrates that. The resurrection is a demonstration that sin has been dealt with. All of your past, your, your present, and your future sin has been dealt with at the cross. The second implication of the, the resurrection, wonderful implication is that the resurrection gives us power for life now. 
The Christian life is the resurrection life. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that is at work in us who believe. That as we understand the gospel, it it changes and affects every corner of our life, our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength is all captured by what Jesus has done in the resurrection as he pours his spirit out in us and makes us new people, new creations, made alive in Christ. We've got new power to live in a a new way, in a way that we couldn't before, to glorify God. The third wonderful implication of the resurrection is that it gives us certainty of a future hope. Jesus' resurrection is both the precedent and the pattern of our resurrection. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that he is the first fruits of those who are still asleep. That is, if you go and sample the harvest and take the first fruit of the harvest, it is an indication that the rest will follow like this. Jesus is the pattern and precedent of the resurrection of everyone else who has faith in him. He has demonstrated what happens when you die. He rises again, destroying death and assuring us that death is not the end, that there is something that lies beyond this. Resurrection. Jesus' own resurrection has demonstrated that for us. The resurrection brings new purpose, new significance, new meaning. Not only is it compelling, but it's also soul-satisfying. I mean, don't you want those things to be true? Don't you want to have hope? Don't you want to have uh, empowerment? Don't you want to know that uh, the, the, your sins have been dealt with? I mean, th- those are wonderful things. We ought to want the resurrection to be true because it is. The resurrection changes absolutely everything. And on this Sunday, we celebrate that Jesus did not remain in the grave but that the Father raised him up to new life in victory over death, that all those who would have faith in him would experience the same victory, the same resurrection. That is good news. And that's what we celebrate in this church. We celebrate across this city and across this nation as churches gather together on this day in the name of Jesus, that he was raised again from the dead. Friends, we're going to celebrate that now in a number of ways. We're going to do that in the Lord's Supper or Communion. To my right and left are two stations with some bread and some grape juice. And we invite those of you who love Jesus to come forward and to dip the bread into the grape juice and eat it as a reminder that his body, his blood were broken and shed, but that the Father vindicated the Son and raised him to new life. And you are justified because of that. Your sin is dealt with. You have a certain future and hope. And so we're going to celebrate the resurrection this morning in those symbols are reminders of the gospel and we're also going to respond in worship so i'm going to pray and invite the band to come up now and we're going to do just that so join me please as we pray lord jesus we thank you we thank you this morning that the tomb is empty that the throne is occupied that you O king of kings rule and reign that we do not worship a dead jew but we worship a risen savior Father God, this morning we thank you that you vindicated the Son, that you raised him to new life. 
And Lord, we pray that the truth of the resurrection would not only be compelling for us, but would stir our souls to wholehearted worship of you. We pray this in the strong and powerful name of Jesus. God's people said, Amen.